Thank you for joining us today on our episode of Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. We have a special guest today. She is someone who has dealt with breast cancer in her own life, has described that as a transformative experience. She used that to really make a lot of changes in her life uh, for the positive. So um, our guest today is Leslie Nance. She was diagnosed with cancer in 2012, six days before Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, (laughs) Leslie began a metamorphosis in her life. She became the CEO of her health and her body. She has now traveled the world talking about her cancer journey and inspiring others to take control of their health. She is also the host of a live interactive cooking show, Lunch with Leslie, where she teaches others how to make their bodies inhospitable to cancer with a health insurance policy you can eat. She founded GoToKitchens.com in 2014 with the hope of reaching millions of people with her message of using food as medicine via their command centers, the kitchen. And she shows no sign of slowing down at this point from what I know. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so honored to have you here. Thank you for having me. I was thrilled when you asked. I, this is one of my favorite subjects, and I love the name of this podcast, Who Could Resist? <laughs> well, you know, for, uh, for people who are new to the podcast, I would just like to say that I decided on the podcast name very intentionally and after a lot of thought because I really feel there is a fundamental difference in women who have dealt with this. And this is, to me, the emotional truth that underlies all the decisions that we have to make. None of us would choose to go through this and none of us would choose to go through the side effects if we could avoid it. And this is the fundamental truth that colors how you make decisions. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I love it. It's awesome. So Leslie, um, on your, uh, you were diagnosed in 2012, and I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about that with us. Uh, yes, so I was found. Uh, I found the lump. It's so crazy because my husband and I had had uh, dinner the night before with some friends, our best friends actually, and they were telling us about the journey that their brother-in-law was on, who eventually lost his life to multiple myeloma. Actually, he lost his life to the treatments of multiple myeloma, probably not the cancer itself. He was going through some very aggressive treatments um, to try to, he was a young man trying to cure his cancer. They were telling us about he was in isolation because of bone marrow and chemotherapy and nobody could see him and he was, he was feeling depressed. Of course you would be. And, and I made the very catty statement, if I was ever diagnosed with cancer, I would never in a million years do chemotherapy. The next morning, I woke up um, in a very intimate situation. That's all I'll say about that with my husband. I was laying on my side, and that's all I'll say about that. I wear a long necklace that has a guitar pick with the Rolling Stones tongue on it, and it's metal, and it has a big bail on it, and which is what holds it to the necklace. And laying on my side, and I thought my necklace was underneath the side of my breast, on my left breast. And I was like, well, that's uncomfortable. And I reached over to move it and realized that it was not my necklace that I was feeling. It was a lump in my breast. And so full stop, uh, literally, I was like, stop (laughs) everything. And um, yeah. And so I sat there holding my breast and my husband's like, it's probably nothing. You know how husbands are. It's probably nothing. Everything's going to be fine. We will go to the doctor tomorrow and find out what it is. And And I looked at him and I just bursted into tears. And I said, you think 
think I need a doctor? And because the reality was in my mind already is that I knew what it was. I knew what I felt in my breast. And I just, I had an immediate reaction to it. And I said to him, I said, if this is what I think it is, it's going to change our lives forever. And what I didn't know is what I truly meant by that statement because at the time I meant something negative, but really it turned out to be something completely different that I could never imagine. So fast forward um, a couple of days, went to the doctor just right before Christmas, diagnosed with stage 1B cancer, uh, aggressive. They told me that it was a triple positive from the biopsy that they had taken and that it was, you know, it could be in a, a very aggressive form of cancer that I need more testing and, you know, and then they started talking about mastectomies and chemotherapy. I mean, just even just right from the biopsy. And so that scared me like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, this is serious. It's like your worst nightmare coming true. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Normally we travel to Texas to see my family for Christmas and I call my mom and dad. I'm an only child. I was like, can you please come here? I just don't think I can, I don't think I should leave. And because I thought I was dying. I mean, I pretty much had, I was, I thought that was going to be my last Christmas and that I would never, I would never enjoy another Christmas ever again. And it was crazy because I was like, take pictures of me. And I was saying this out loud. This might be the last time you take pictures of me at Christmas. I mean, that's how the more, I mean, just complete morbid thoughts had just completely saturated my entire life. Yes. So that all happened. Fast forward again. I talked to more doctors. I fired two oncologists, um, a radiation oncologist and a regular oncologist. Finally found a couple that I really liked. And they helped me understand more about what was happening in my body, but was still not ready to make a decision about what to do. Do I have my breasts removed? Do I not have them removed? Do I, you know, because they weren't saying they wanted me to have both breasts removed. And I, it's not something that I really wanted to do. And so not because I'm particularly attached to them, but because it didn't seem necessary in my mind, even as scared as I was, it didn't feel necessary, but it took me two months to make that decision about what do I, you know, what do I do? And I guess one of the things that if anybody's listening to this, that is sitting in this position right now, and they're like, their doctors are pushing them, you know, you need to do this and you need to do it now. I actually took two months and decided what was best for me. And it was, it was the best decision. And probably all of my cancer decisions, it was probably the foundation of why I'm still here. (laughs) Because it, because it, it allowed me to slow down and calm down, you know, kind of heal my thoughts about what was happening to my body. And so fast forward to that two months, I actually ended up having the lump removed. I did not have my breast removed. I actually ended up doing a lumpectomy. They got really, really super clear margins, which was really, I was really oh, happy wonderful. about that. Um, without a lot of skin damage or even damage to my breast, they removed about a golf ball size out of my breast. Sitting on a beach in Hawaii, <laughs> I actually... On the North Shore of Oahu, I was watching these 30-foot waves crash into the shore because in the wintertime, you know, they get these huge waves. And I was watching... for our guests who don't, or for our listeners who don't know, I live in Hawaii. Yeah. That's our, that's our big time. I mean, they get, they get epic waves. I mean, we watch it on TV. It's a big thing. Yeah. So I was sitting there watching these. It was my first time ever in Hawaii. So Hawaii is a special place for me. And I was just sitting there and I was thinking, God, there's so much power and energy coming in. You know, I, it's too bad I can't harness that power and that energy. And I was like, wait a second. 
you have all the power in the world. Nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can push you into doing anything that you don't want to do. If you don't want to do chemotherapy, Leslie, don't do it. If you don't want to have your breasts removed, don't do it. And so I didn't. (laughs) And when I went to my oncologist, fast forward a few days after that, and I said, I don't want to do chemotherapy. And she looked at me and she said, well, okay, what are you going to do? Because you can't continue on the path that you're on right now because your body created cancer. And so you need to figure out what your next steps are if it's not chemotherapy. And that was very powerful for me because she ignited something inside of me. She empowered me to think differently. I'd like to take a minute to just, um, just reinforce what a brave decision that was because, and what a difficult decision because my being a nurse, I can't imagine many oncologists who would support that decision. You know, as a matter of fact, they kind of put the fear of God in you. Um, you know, and, and part of your story that I really appreciate and one of the things that I teach my clients all the time is that even though it feels like an emergency, and doctors will treat it like an emergency. I've heard women who get diagnosed on Friday and they're having a mastectomy on Monday. I, I can't imagine. What I think is helpful for women to understand is that the average cancer takes about 10 years to grow to the point where you actually feel it. You know, it's, right. it starts as microvascular changes smaller than the size of a pen. So it's been growing for 10 years. And if you, mm-hmm. at least, and if you can put it in that perspective and say, wow, if I take two months, is it really going to change the outcome very much, yeah. you know. I just really, in, in just I, the little bit that you've said, I just really want to um, tell you how much I admire how much trust you had in your own body. Because I think there's nothing more disempowering than being told you have cancer to feel like your body has betrayed you and how hard it is to really come back to that place of trusting. Even when you said to your husband, no, I know what this is. It's mm-hmm. like you, you, you have that intuition in your body, and it just really seems like that has guided you through many stages of this, and I just really want to tell you how much I respect that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, that empowerment um, came from a very unlikely, and my whole family, all my friends, everybody was in emergency mode. Leslie has cancer. Oh my gosh. Everybody went into emergency mode. All the people who love me the most just really, I mean, it was, it was just this, and I think they were feeding off of me what was happening, you know, how I was reacting. And so they, they had the privilege of reacting the same, freaking out like I was. And so it was literally two months of solid freaking out. But my, my best friend gave me a book by Chris Carr, um, Crazy Sexy Diet not even her crazy, sexy cancer, but crazy, sexy diet. And I began to read Chris Carr's story. And if you're not familiar with her, she's, uh, she's, she lives every day with cancer in her body. It's been there for, I think, over, over 12 or 13 years um, wow. in, in her vascular system. And she's, she manages it with her diet. So it's not grown or changed or done anything. It just sits there, you know, being cancer. Instead of it letting f- fear her, she decided to become the CEO of her life. She started making massive changes and she inspired me so much. And when I read that book, I knew that there was power in taking control of my body physically and knowing that nobody could talk me into doing anything that I didn't want to do. I, I, like I said, I ended up having the lump removed. I actually did six weeks of radiation, but during that entire time, um, I had hired a naturopathic doctor and a functional medicine doctor to help guide me and try to figure out like some detective work, why my body would produce breast cancer. That understanding and that education really 
turns me on to the idea that my body does not want to be sick. It does not want to be unwell. It wants to be well and that, and that it fights every single day. And the information that I feed it helps it either be well or be sick. And not, I'm not saying that my diet caused my cancer. It could have. It could have played a role. I could have turned, I could have made myself predisposed to it because of the cruddy diet I was eating. You know, and I'm not saying I did anything to cause my cancer, but I just, I was ignoring warning signs. I was, you know, there was a lot of things that were telling me that something was wrong and I was just not paying attention to them, thinking it was just normal life. It, it, you know, once I began to put those pieces of the puzzle together of where my body had gone estranged and said, oh, well, <laughs> you've opened the door and we're going to, you know, and now we're going to have a malfunction and here's the malfunction and it's in the form of cancer. And for some people, that's in the form of diabetes and some people that's in the form of many things. There's no history of cancer in my family. And so we couldn't blame it solely on genetics or any, not for five generations, we couldn't figure out anybody who had cancer. I'm talking to grandparents and, you know, it, yeah. And so it was, it was, so we couldn't blame it there. And so I needed to figure out what was going on. So through a series of tests, I figured out my body was not regulating. It was producing a tons of, not too much, but a nice amount of estrogen for a 42-year-old woman. I was 42 at the time, but it was not metabolizing it out of my body correctly. And so I had excessive estrogen in my body and it probably was one of the things that went haywire. I mean, that's classic for, you know, for breast cancer. And so once I began to put those pieces of the puzzle together and understood that my body could heal and could be better and could and could never have cancer again. And if I could believe in my body to do that and have that ability, I knew that I would never have cancer again. I mean, I knew that it would never, that it would never show up again. And so we're five years, which is not a lot of time. Five years is a fair amount of time, but it's not a lot of time. When I hit 20 years cancer-free... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're like five years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Five years is good, especially for the type of cancer I had. Eventually we landed on that it was triple negative, um, not triple positive, but triple negative. And for the type of cancer that I had, actually your, your, uh, your reoccurrence rate drops by like 50%, according to the oncologist that I work with after that five year mark. Like if you don't have any cancer leading up to that, then your reoccurrence rate drops quite a bit. And I'm like, yay. That's my great. Reoccurrence oh, rate that's was, great. Yeah. was actually quite high. So, so yeah, but it's, it's been, a, it's been a very interesting journey. And I think that my favorite part of the whole thing is the empowerment that I found to do something different and to be something different. I can think of few things that are more disempowering than to be told that you have cancer. I right? mean, I know. It, it's, it's like, um, I, I heard somebody describe it that you have to deal with all this information and yet you process nothing. No, and, nothing. And what you hear is I'm going to die. You that's know, all you hear. Yeah. That's, that's all you hear. And, you know, I mean, my, my, my surgeon, he was talking to me about implants and reconstruction. And I was like, I don't care. Just get this out of my body. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. and, and I turned around to my husband at one point in time and I was like, you choose the size of the implant. I, I don't care. <laughs> Right. I know. My Zumba instructor just went through breast cancer and uh, she's a fitness coach and she's like super, she's like 50, I think Pauline's like 57 years old and she's, she, she's buff. I mean, she's got an amazing figure and uh, just, uh, anyway, I would kill to have just an, you know, half of 
her physique. Anyway, but she um, she just had both of her breasts removed. She had stage three and she chose not to do reconstruction at all. And she's like, it's so great because they're gone and they're not in my way. Right, right, right. <laughs> like I don't have to wear these stupid sports bras anymore. And, you know, anyway, but it's uh, it's funny because she's just totally embraced having no breast. I mean, she loves it. And so it's, you know, and that's so different for every single woman. You know, to me, it was kind of no big deal. I mean, I like my boobs and I kind of wanted to keep them, but at the same time, it, I would have never let them stood in my way if I thought that they were, that they were going to kill me. Not worth dying for. <laughs> That's right. I would have never, ever. And I wouldn't have let my hair stay in the way, you know? Like a lot of people were like, did you not do chemo because you didn't want to lose your hair? And I'm like, no, oh, I okay. actually was kind of interested to see what I look like bald. And so <laughs> I was kind of... <laughs> I was, it was like the thing I was bummed about when I decided not to do chemo. I was like, dang, now I'm not going to get to see myself bald. And so anyway, yeah. <laughs> I moved to San Francisco, which is a pretty wild city. I, um, I went through, I, I went to nursing school when I was like a teenager, when I was really young. So I never had my rebellious stage. So then I get to San Francisco in my early thirties and went into my rebellious stage. Ah, there you and go. <laughs> I have this very hot friend that probably is very much like your aerobics instructor, beautiful body. You know, just yeah. one of my friends said, well, if she walked off a cliff, would you? I'm like, yes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and one night she, she had a shaved platinum head. And one night we were sitting in a jacuzzi and she's like, have you ever thought about shaving your head? I was like, no. And she's like, would you allow me to shave it? I'm like, yes. So we <laughs> went to her house and she, <laughs> she shaved it and went, I went platinum. And I kept it that way for three years because it, it, was, it was just lovely. But yeah. going forward in my cancer diagnosis, when I was making decisions about chemotherapy, I had grown my hair out and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my hair. And one of my workers, co-workers was like, I sort of remember somebody I met a few years ago <laughs> that wouldn't have cared. I was like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I have a similar story that I had a roommate. Um, and when I was in my twenties, I had a roommate and she, um, we worked in the same place and I knew she, I lived with this woman and I had no idea that she had a, um, a prosthetic arm. She had oh, cancer wow. when she was a teenager in her elbow, in her joints there. And so they had removed her arm to her elbow and she wore a prosthetic arm and she kept it wrapped up and all you could see was just the fingertips. And so she was like, oh, I just hurt my wrist and it just won't heal. And I'm like, you should go see the doctor about that. And I know she's like laughing her butt off because she, she always wore wigs and I didn't know why. She was still in treatment and I didn't even know. I lived with her. I didn't even know. She was always wearing all these different types of wigs and everything. And I never saw her without a wig on. And, you know, and I'm like, you're so funny that you wear those wigs. And I'd like to see what your real hair looks like and whatever. She didn't have any. She never let anybody know that anything was wrong and not be denial, but because like her family knew and, you know, there were people there to support her, but because she didn't want anybody to feel sorry for her. And she said, I just don't like the puppy dog eyes. I can't stand the puppy dog eyes. And I was like, oh man, I, okay. So I made it a point very early in my 20s that anytime anybody would tell me that something was, you know, wrong or something devastated would happen, that instead of making puppy dog guys, I would ask questions and I would be inquisitive and see if they wanted to talk about what had happened to them. You can't believe how many interesting conversations I've had about things that have happened to people, you know, instead of feeling sorry for them, just accepting that, dang, that's 
stinks. You know, tell me more. I, you know, yeah. do, you, do you mind talking about it? I want to know more. And it's, I've made some really great friends that way. And it's, you know, because I was open and I wasn't like, oh, I'm sorry. It was yeah. like, what? That happened to you? <laughs> you know? Right. So it's, that's a very interesting. I haven't thought about, uh, her name was Amy. I haven't thought about her in a long time, but, um, but yeah, I didn't even know. Well, it really brings up that issue of resilience. Mm -hmm. And um, having gone through this twice, you know, the first time I went through it, I think I freaked out and told everybody, including like the people in the grocery store. Right. I know. Me too. You know, and and actually, uh, I think one of the episodes I'm going to do is things that you should not say to someone who has cancer. I mean... That's right. I can write that book. <laughs> what people would say, oh, oh, my aunt had that and she died in three months. And I'm like, right. that's really helpful. And um, so the second time around, I, I told my husband, I was like, I'm going to be very deliberate about this because I'm very susceptible to what everybody says. I, I always think that everyone has a better opinion than me. And I made mm-hmm. a conscious choice that I was only going to tell very close people. So I told two people, I, my husband and my best friend who was an oncology nurse. Then when I had gone to all the doctors and I had gotten all the information, because I realized those people, they weren't sitting in the doctor's office. They weren't having to make this decision. You know, they didn't have all the information, but they certainly had opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was after I had made the choice. And you know, I think you know, when I was halfway you know, to the hospital that I actually told my best friend. Um, mm. And and it wasn't anything about him. It was just that process of really needing to come to a place of trusting myself and knowing yeah. that that I knew what was best for me. Yeah, and I think that is a process that's different for everyone. You know, and I just really, you know, I love the parts of your story where you took a step back. You really listened to yourself. You know, you had the people in, in your life that you trusted and you made that decision. You know, because I can't, this is an overwhelming decision. And, oh. and no one... You know, I mean, even now when I hear opinions from people about how they think cancer should be treated, I'm like, have you ever had it? Because whether or not you've ever heard those words said to you, that makes all the difference in the world. You can have all the thoughts about it, but unless you've heard those words coming at you Mm -hmm. and you've gone through that process of I'm going to die, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very different perspective. I just, I'll never forget the day that I, I got a phone call. I didn't even, because it was right before Christmas and everybody was, all the offices were closed. And I told them, I said, I don't want to go through Christmas thinking I have cancer if I don't have cancer. So if you can please call and tell me, you know, I don't care that it's like, you know, it was, I actually got the actual, I found the lump on the 19th, but I actually got the diagnosis like two days before Christmas. And, um, yeah, and I got a phone call and I, I I was at work and I'll never forget the emotion that I had of oh my gosh, this is this is for real. I mean, I me I ah, I can't believe I have cancer. I mean, I was like the healthiest person, healthiest air quotes, um, <laughs> person right. that everybody knew. I mean, I was very, I, I equated that because I was thin, that I was healthy and that because I worked out, I was healthy, you know, but oh my gosh, my body was throwing me so many warning signs that I just didn't even, I just chose to ignore that, you know, like, um, like chronic constipation. I, you know, do you know that the statistic is, is that 92% of people who are chronically constipated could, will be diagnosed with some sort of cancer in their lifetime. Wow, I've never heard that. 
Yeah, yeah. My, my, one of my mentor, Dr. Uh, Susan Silberstein, gave me that statistic the other day and I was like, whoa, what? And she was like, yeah, it's really, it's something that you need to pay attention to. If you are chronically constipated, you should pay attention to your body because your body's trying to tell you something and you have a backup of toxins and you're allowing all these yeah. different things to happen. And anyway, that's just, that was like crazy town to me. And I was that girl. I was, I've been chronically constipated most of my adult. That's a lovely subject. But most of my adult life, my periods were incredible. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, it's a perfectly normal conversation to me. I know. I always tell people you can't talk about health without talking about poop. You just exactly. can't. So it and doesn't. You know people don't want to talk about it until they've been yeah. constipated, and then that's all they want to talk about because yeah. nothing will make you sicker. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you know, I didn't have any like the symptoms of like bloating or I never felt bad, but I just, I've always had a hard time going to the bathroom, eliminating. And so that is no longer true. I'm like clockwork now, but, um, but it's, you know, that was something my, my periods were incredibly irregular, even on the pill, they were incredibly irregular, you know, just crazy, like breakouts, you know, all over my back and my chest. And on the back of my legs, I would experience these, you know, terrible breakouts, especially around my period. And just, you know, all of these crazy signs that my body was trying to tell me like, Hey, this is something not right over here. You know, headaches, you know, um, joint pain. I mean, just stuff that just is not normal for a 42 year old woman. I, but I perceived them as normal because I had had all these symptoms so long. I just perceived that they were part of my life and I just, I just rolled with them. And now not having any of it at 47, it's like, oh my gosh, I was really sick. And I didn't even realize how sick I was. I mean, that's, that's crazy to me to think, you know, to, but I remember what I felt like and I can remember not ever wanting to feel like that again. And so, um, and that's just done. That's just all through mindset. I, number one priority for me is getting rid of, um, I didn't, I don't have negative Nancy and Debbie Downer. I had cynical Barbie. I love this. I used to love the saying, if you don't have something nice to say, come sit by me. I was the best judge on the planet. I mean, (laughs) you you need a judge. Let me do it because I am, I am ruthless and not anymore, but that was, I, this was me. And as I began to realize that, you know, cancer gave me so much compassion and I couldn't, I, I just couldn't even believe how uncompassionate I was in my life. And so as I began to make those switches, I began to see things change and stress being lifted and physical things being lifted off of me that I just didn't even realize were oppressing me. And, um, and it, you know, I had, I've had a great life. I don't have anything. The worst thing that's happened to me is cancer and my mom having a stroke in 2008. Those are like the two worst things that have ever happened to me. And it's not like I, I don't know where that came from, but it did. And so it's, she's gone. Cynical Barbie has died. Yeah. She, she left with the cancer, which is good. And then my eating habits changing a lot has, uh, has had a profound effect, not only on me, but everybody who surrounds me. Everybody's changed because I changed and they saw such a huge difference. They all wanted to change. Right. So they were like, you have cancer. You're supposed to be sick. And I'm like, I know. And I'm not. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's 
excited to move into discussing the work that you've done. But just to backtrack, just in what you were saying, you know, I that was my biggest takeaway from cancer is that I I often say that you know I'd go to the traditional doctors and you know um, one time when I had a cancer scare I flew out right after Thanksgiving as a matter of fact in the middle of the night you know and uh, actually the busiest travel day of the year is the Sunday after Thanksgiving coming out of Hawaii uh, and I I flew three thousand miles and you know panicked and get to my doctor's office and she walks in and she says well you need to lower your blood pressure and lose weight I was like well thanks for telling me the obvious but um, <laughs> Uh, we're not talking about my blood pressure right now, considering what I've been going through for four days. And, yeah. and in, in what I asked her was, and that turned out to be benign and part of the reconstruction I had. Another episode that I'm going to do is about breast implant illness and mm. how some women react to having those, that foreign mm. object and toxins in your body because it's neurogenic and um, neurogenic. You know, I asked her, how do I make sure you know, she said, well, come back in a year, take these prescriptions. And it was like, well, how do I make sure that it stays negative? And she's like, oh, I don't know what to tell you there. You know, and going back to everything that you said, nutrition, the first thing I, I ask every patient is, do you poop every day? You know, it, it, you know it, it, women who have been with me for a while, that's the first thing they'll be. They're like, I pooped today. And I'm like, yay. You know, <laughs> but, um, you know one of the things that, uh, that happened during that time is I went to my regular doctor and my estrogen levels were really high. And she said to me, well, you're going through reconstructive surgery next week. You should have a surgeon come in and take out your ovaries. And I was like, okay, I, I've had my... Uh, uterus taken out for cancer. I've had both breasts removed. I mm. feel like I need to keep some organ in my body. Right. <laughs> and yeah. that didn't make sense to me. But then after I started studying functional medicine to realize that estrogen dominance is a huge part of our health and it affects young women in terms of PMS, it affects older women. And estrogen, now I understand, you know, estrogen is produced in our body from fat cells. It's introduced to our body through toxins. It's, it's another factor that if you're not detoxifying estrogen, you're reabsorbing it in a more toxic form. Yeah. And so, you know, when women come to me, those are the things that I'm, I'm talking about. And, you know, they're like, well, I'm here for cancer. And you're talking about whether I poop every day. And it's like, but, but it, it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Uh, reducing yeah. inflammation, reducing oxidative stress. Those yep. are the foundations of creating a body where, where aberrant cells do not thrive. You know, and, and I, and I, you know, now it's like, God, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm so glad I listened to myself and didn't have my ovaries removed because that was the, the least part of my problem. You know, yeah. it was all but how many women are like, Oh, I got to have my ovaries removed. You exactly. know, we pray to that because we're not, we don't seek out the education. You know, I always say that education dispels fear. And, you know, when you educate yourself about something, you, you, you tend to dispel fear very easily because you understand understand the modalities that are happening that are put into place that, you know, make something happen, whether it's, I don't know, a fear of snakes or a fear of cancer or whatever it is, but understanding what we fear really can dispel, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, that would make me more afraid. Well, no, not really, because you understand whys and hows and, you know, what to avoid and those sorts of things. And so it's, it's, paramount. This is the whole CEO of your health thing, right? I mean, taking control and knowing that it's your body and that your body is nothing like anybody else's body 
anywhere else on this entire planet. You're right. the you're the only one that is like you. And so you have to be your own advocate for your own health and deciding what is best for you and being okay with those decisions. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> as you go along. But yeah, I mean, thank God you didn't have your ovaries removed because that is I mean, that can that can cause a whole set of other problems. When yeah. I think about how difficult it was to go through the medication regime and the hormone mm-hmm. nothing, I mean, I was miserable. So that on top of it, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. And it amazes me as a nurse, and I've heard this from many people, including one of my good friends, oh, I, I don't ever get uh, mammograms. I, I, I only, you know, I've never had one because I don't want to know. And, you know, the same with people, you know, getting tested for HIV or anything else. It, it's like, yeah. well, I don't want to know. And I'm yeah. like, the difference between knowing early and knowing late is mm-hmm. the difference between life and death. You Absolutely. know, if you know early, you can, be ve- you can be more proactive and make those decisions. I think it was Elizabeth Edwards, the politician's wife, sort of like you, she was caught up in the busyness and the insanity of her life. And she didn't notice her cancer until it was the size, I think, of a golf ball. You yeah. know, it was late stage. And, you know, at that point there, you know, then you're just reacting and, and you're just staying one step ahead of the next decision. As you said, you know, to, to be empowered to take care of your health, it's like, even if you don't have a disease, just knowing what your baseline health is, is, is a huge thing that, that we can't turn over to doctors, that we can't say, well, the doctor told me to do it. Doctors, you know, they don't know what's best for you. I, I see so many people, well, the doctor told me to do it. I'm like, did you ask questions? No, I, I didn't want to bother the doctor. And, you know, yeah. I, I think if there's anything that I do, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like the bossy nurse that's telling my people, you know, get your reports. We're going to look at your reports. You know? Yeah, right. I know. It's, it's so true, though, that we just, you know, we tend to just blindly trust somebody who is seeing 10 of us in one day, right? 10 of us that have come in in one day that have all been diagnosed with cancer. And we understand the compassion that they have for us at the moment we're sitting in their office. But what we don't do is we don't dig far enough into our own health. And, you know, I, I certainly didn't say, I'm not the first one to say this, but, you know, the best cure for cancer is prevention. Right. <laughs> that okay. is the best cure for cancer is prevention. Not getting it in the first place is the best way to not die from it. And so, right. 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 <laughs> so exactly. it, for me, teaching people, because I have a lot of people that I talk a lot about cancer in my website and, you know, with my, a lot of things. I mean, my whole platform is, you know, making your body inhospitable to cancer, but it is at the same time, I have tons of people that have never had cancer that follow me because they never want it. They and never so, want it, yeah. Yeah, and so making that body in an inhospitable environment to cancer is something that is very powerful and is very possible. And one of my favorite sayings is, "Cancer is not your destiny." Don't even if you've had cancer, don't accept it as that is your destiny. It may be your reality, it may be what's happening, but it's not what guides you through to the next part of your life. You know, it, 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 it may be a part of what's happening to you right now, but it's not what's at the end of the road. And so, you know, accepting that our bodies are healing machines and detoxing machines and that they want to be well and that they, they do not fail us if we give them proper information is something that has been very powerful in my practice and teaching people, you know, the principles of, of just 
taking control. And I, I get, I get text messages and DMS all the time. That was like, I went to the doctor today and you know, this happened and this happened, this happened. And I asked why. And the only reason I asked why is because you would have told me, I could hear you saying, ask why. (laughs) And I'm like, yes. yes, yes. (laughs) So doctors. And as a nurse, I mean, I I kind of, you know, I I was always a bossy nurse, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but absolutely. It's, it's, it's like, if you don't, I, I see too many women who have literally gone through cancer treatment and numerous radiation treatments at oncology who don't even know how to understand their pathology report. I know. You know, it's, I know. it's, it's just, it, to me, it's like criminal. These are major decisions, regardless of what decision you make. Knowing that information is, is essential to knowing how to make the decisions to move forward. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I teach my women all the time is that um, I find this in terms of a mind-body approach is that you are not your diagnosis. Mm-mm. You are someone who is dealing with this diagnosis, but you, but so often it, you become that cancer patient and it's like, no, you're someone who is dealing with cancer. And as subtle as that sounds, it makes a huge difference or someone who's dealing with a chronic illness. It doesn't have to be cancer. It's like, you know, to, to get to that place of not letting it control your life is huge. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'd love to talk to you about is the work that you've done since then, because you, you, you're an, an activist and you're out there and, and, you know, teaching women really, really vital things about how to, how to engage in this prevention and empower them. And I'd love to hear the work that you do. So I have a live, so most of my work is through, I call it the command center, which is the kitchen. Um, And I I believe that every healthy journey starts in that one space is in the kitchen. I mean, it probably starts in your brain, but also, I mean, physically it starts in the kitchen. And so I teach people how to fall in love with their kitchens again and be in a space that they're, that they're enjoying. And not only that, but is, is a, um, a, a, you know, functional food space. So we're not just eating to eat. We're not just eating. We are eating for pleasure because all my food tastes great. I have to tell you, like every recipe I make, I'm like, I don't, it doesn't go on my website unless like 10 people have tasted it. And they're like, this is the best stuff I've ever ate. I'm like, okay, that can go on the website. And oh, so I'm I really- get your recipes last night and I'm making <laughs> one of them for dinner. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what are you making? <laughs> uh, the the, uh, the lasagna one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Amazing. And- and, you know, I, um, and, and I share that, that view with you. It's like, I don't care what diet you're on uh, or, you know, if you're not enjoying the food and you don't get that satiety, then you're not nourishing yourself. And, and so right. one of my rules is like, I, I mean, I'm sorry for the people who like rice cakes, but to me, they are bland, tasteless things. And, sure. and, it's like, and, and so for me, um, learning to, cook healthy, but having it taste good and having it feed you, I think is the, is the single most important thing to move people out of this, um, compulsive, disconnected way of eating we have with our food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every, every recipe on your website was wonderful. <laughs> like, Thank I, I you. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are well tested and uh, very, uh, you know, everything has a purpose, like everything, every ingredient that I put in, I try to make sure that it has a function and a purpose in the body, that it's nourishing the body. And so even in my desserts, I mean, even my desserts are made with that purpose in mind that sometimes some of my desserts, it's better that you ate dessert than skip dessert. And I mean, it's great. So it is, um, this has been a passion of mine because I, when I started my health journey, I would eat like five vegetables and my 
a naturopathic doctor said to me one day, he's like, okay, you got to eat more than five vegetables. How can I help you do this? I was like, I don't know, give me some great recipes that taste great and that I want to eat. You know, make Brussels sprouts not slimy and weird. And he's like, Leslie, go learn how to cook them. And I was like, Okay. And so I did. And again, he empowered me to do something different and to think of something different. And because Brussels sprouts, there's no way in God's green earth, you would have gotten me to eat those five years ago today. Five years ago today, there's no way I would have eaten a Brussels sprout. And so now I eat them like five times a week because they're great for estrogen metabolization in the body. So, um, so I love Brussels sprouts, but, um, it's, it's, but I had to learn how to cook them. And so I have been so passionate about teaching people how to make these real foods, these functional foods taste great and easy. I mean, there's a lot of things going on there. It needs to be somewhat easy. You still have to cook, but it needs to be somewhat easy and it needs to taste great. And it needs to be something that your whole family will probably enjoy. 